The following audio is from First Baptist Pelham in Pelham, Alabama. More information about First Baptist Pelham is available at fbcpelham.org. promise if we ask anything according to his name, he hears us and answers. I'm grateful for the joy of being with you today. Some of you may remember 12 or 15 years ago when I was just a young man, I was here with you in a revival with Dick Tomassian and with Mike Shaw. And uh, Brother Mike, as you know, likes to be in charge of things. And uh, so he told me, he said, now you need to understand those who come at the 915 service are the most spiritual folk in the church. Uh, I lie about a lot of things. He didn't say that. <laughs> but seriously, I am grateful to be here. And I uh, need to ask you to help me just a little bit now and so that I won't, you won't embarrass me and I won't embarrass you. Many of you I've known for a very, very long time. I've known Barry and Paula almost all their life. But others of you have been at Shades Mountain. Others of you I've known in different arenas. Now, don't come down after the service this morning and say, you don't remember me, do you? <laughs> now, if you do that, and some of you already have, if you do that, I'm going to give you the answer that I learned a long time ago. Remember you, I've been trying to forget you for 40 years. <laughs> and you're not going to know whether I remember you or not. But seriously, thank you for being it. Give me your name when you come by. I'll try to remember it most of the time. But thank you so much for letting me be here. I want you to open your Bible, if you will, to the 11th chapter of the Gospel of Luke. And in just a minute, we're going to look at the first part of this chapter. But before we do, I want to ask you a question that will prepare for the reading of this biblical passage. Here's the question. It's the title of the message. Today, July the 13th, 2014, if you could ask God for absolutely anything, no holds barred, with the full assurance he would give it to you. What would you ask for? A new job? New car? Million dollars? What would you ask for? If you could ask God for anything with the full assurance God would give it to you, what would you ask for? Very few times in the scripture did the disciples ask Jesus for anything. But here in Luke 11, they do ask him, one of them at least, is not even given his name, comes with a request. Look beginning in verse 1 of Luke chapter 11. And would you stand together with me as we read the scripture? Brother Mike told me I better do this or I'd be a liberal. <laughs> in reverence to God's word, we do this. One day, Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he finished, one of his disciples said to him, 
Lord, teach us to pray just as John taught his disciples. He said to them, him, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us. And lead us not into temptation. And as you know, some of the translations have it. And uh, find is the kingdom of the glory forever and ever. Verse 5. Then he said to them, he tells them two parables here. Suppose one of you has a friend. That's the key word. And he goes to him at midnight and says, Friend, lend me three loaves of bread, because a friend of mine on a journey has come to me, and I have nothing to set before him. Verse 7. Then the one on the inside answers, Don't bother me. The door is already locked. My children are with me in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. Verse 8, I tell you, though he will not get up and give him the bread because he is his friend, yet because of the man's, and the NIV has boldness. If you still like the King James as I do, it has importunity. It's the only time in the New Testament this word is used. It means persistence. Keeping on, keeping on, keeping on, keeping on. Whatever translation communicates to you. Jesus, yet because of this man's bold persistence, he will get up and give him as much as he needs. So I say to you, ask, and we might translate it, ask and keep on asking, and it will be given to you. Seek and keep on seeking. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone that asks receives, and he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks, the door will be open. Now the second parable is about a father. Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will he give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will he give him a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father in heaven Give the Holy Spirit or give the good things of the Holy Spirit to them that ask him. Holy Father, this is Holy Scripture. We're your people. Let the words of our mouth and the meditations of our heart be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, our strength and our redeemer. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. As far as I know, there's only one thing that universally and unanimously all Christians all over the world agree on. We don't agree on baptism. We don't agree about the Lord's Supper. We don't agree on how to call a preacher. You realize if you were in some denominations today, you wouldn't have to have a pastor search committee. They'd just send you a preacher. Aren't you glad you're not in that denomination? No, no, I left some folks get along well doing that. That's okay. But they have all kinds of differences, different beliefs and different postures on moral and ethical issues as far as I know. There's only one thing that universally and unanimously all Christians all over the world agree on. Here it is, that prayer is indispensable to the people of God. When I do that, that's your cue to say amen. You'll learn, my, you'll learn my signals. Prayer is indispensable to the people of God. 
Now with that in mind, let me go ahead and do a little confessing. Most of us in our more honest moments would say, even though that is a truism, that for many of us, maybe most of us, our prayer lives is one of the weakest dimensions of our spiritual life. Some of us read the Bible more than we pray. We go to church more than we pray. We do a lot of good living more than we pray. Most of us would say, my prayer life is one of the weakest dimensions of my spiritual life. And yet, unanimously we agree it's indispensable, but our prayer life is one of the weakest dimensions of our Christian life. Now let me give you a quick guiding principle here. Mark it down and hold on to it. Here it is. The quality of our spiritual lives will never rise and consistently stay any higher than the quality of our prayer lives. One more time. The quality of our total spiritual lives will never rise and consistently stay. You may shoot up there one day in a revival or a Bible study, but I said, will consistently stay any higher than the level of the quality of our prayer lives. And yet most of us would say, that's where I'm the weakest. That's part of the reason I decided to bring this message on our initial service with you. That here is an absolute indispensable, and yet it's an area where we have some of the greatest weakness. Now be careful. Sometimes you may look at a person who you think is very spiritual, and you may conclude, well, you know what? God just zapped it to them, and he didn't zap it to me. I'm just not as spiritual as I ought to be because God just hadn't given that to me. You're crazy, dear friend. Almighty God is not up in heaven and said, okay, boom, boom, boom. I'm going to make you spiritual. I don't care what happens to you. He doesn't do that. God loves every one of us as much as he loves Billy Graham. Now, here's the point. You and I are just as spiritual as we choose to be. No more and no less. We say to an unsaved person, they can't become a Christian without desiring, without wanting to be saved. God is never going to grab you up if you're not a Christian this morning and say, come to me, you've got to be saved. God's a gentleman. God's going to respect your will. And God will never say you've got to become a Christian. And God is never going to say to you and me, you've got to be more spiritual. It's a choice. And what I want to challenge you today is, Move into the dimension where you say, oh, dear God, more than anything, I want to be a a man, a woman, a boy, a girl of prayer. Prayer is indispensable for the people of God. Now, with that in mind, I want us to look at this little passage here with a view towards what you might call learning to pray from Jesus. That could be a subtitle of this little sermon. But four things I want to quickly fix in your mind. Number one. Notice, if you will, the pattern or the model, if you prefer. Verse 1, one day Jesus was praying in a certain place. There is our pattern. Now notice this model or this pattern. First of all, the person who is doing it. Who is it? Jesus, the divine Son of God, the only Son of God, the only begotten Son of God, God incarnate, Jesus Christ, the divine, virgin-born, sinless Son of God is praying. Now, my point is this. 
if he needed to pray, how much more do Charles Carter need to pray and do you need to pray? You say, well, I believe that, Charles. Well, look, if you want your church to be a praying church, you better get to praying because whatever your church is, it's a composite picture of all of us put together. You see what I'm talking about? The only way you have a praying church is to have praying people, you and you and you and you and me. So the person who's praying is the Son of God. If he needed to, how much more do I need to? But I notice the second thing. Jesus, the text says, was praying. Here he is doing what we're challenging you to do. Here's what I want you to remember. I never have wanted anybody to try to teach me how to do something who'd never done it themselves. You know what I'm talking about? A lot of folks going around trying to tell you what to do. I remember a while back, a proliferation of books came out. How to grow a church. I began to check up on those authors. Most of them had never grown a church. You can't tell me how to grow a church if you've never grown a church. Or I remember having teachers teach me in school sometime how to preach. They'd never preached a good sermon in all their life. You can't teach something if you've not done it yourselves. You can't teach something that you don't know something about. Now here is somebody who knows something about it. Jesus, the person. And what was he doing? He was praying and he's teaching you and me what to do. Keep listening. Now the third thing is, and very important, notice the place. P-L-A-C-E. Luke specifically says that a medical doctor giving attention to details, Jesus was praying, look at it, in a certain place. Now, help me just a little bit here. Obviously, this is unrehearsed. Most of you have never seen me before, and I've not seen you. So we had not had a rehearsal, but I think I know where we're going. I have three dimensions to one question. The first part of it is this. Be honest now. How many of you, almost every day of your life, wherever you are, you take a bath or a shower? Whew, I'm glad. <laughs> Cleanliness is next to godliness. Not the Bible, but I believe it. We all do. Now, the next thing we're not going to be unanimous on. You who joined all of us saying, I'll take a bath every day. How many of you prefer, when you can, to take your bath or shower at nighttime? Let's see your hands. All right. How many of you prefer to take it in the morning time, like all of us Christians? Okay. No, no. <laughs> I'm joking you. I'm a, night, I'm a morning bather. My wife is a night bather. We both get clean. Now, hopefully all of us take a bath. Some do it at night. Some do it in the morning. Now, here third question is where I'm going with all this. If you take a bath every day and you take it in the morning or the night, most, many of you have different places in your house where you could take a bath. You either got a downstairs bath or an upstairs bath or a bath out in the garage, somewhere beside one place. Even though you've got places, plural, you could take it. Listen carefully. How many of you normally not only take a bath every day and take it at the same time, morning or night, but you take it in the same place, P-L-A-C-E, every day. Now I want to ask you, 
Zendavada said, man, you're so legalistic. Why do you think you got to always take a bath? And why do you think you got to do it in the morning or night? Why don't you take it in the middle of the day? Or why in the world are you doing it in the same place? <clears throat> Nobody's ever fussed at me about being legalistic, about taking a bath every morning and in the same place. It's just a part of bodily hygiene. Now you say, Charles, what are you saying? Don't sit there and say, well, Dr. Carter, it's kind of legalistic, and you'd say you got to do the same time, same place, every day. No, 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 no. Taking a shower or a bath is bodily cleanliness, bodily cleansing. Praying is spiritual cleansing. And I need that as much as I need a bath every single day. Amen. Now, here's my whole point in this little scenario. Don't forget it. Most of us, who do not have a regular time, whenever it is, you're choosing, a regular time and a regular place to pray, do not pray regularly. You can go to the bank with that. I promise it's true. One more time. Most of us, even folks who go to church every Sunday, who do not have a regular time and a regular place to pray, do not pray I don't mean you don't believe in prayer. I don't mean you don't vote for prayer. I don't believe you don't think prayer is important, but we just don't do it as often as we would like. My challenge, if you don't already do this, find a time and a place every day, and that's your time with God, when you seek spiritual cleansing, like we do physical cleansing when we take a bath. Now quickly, that's the pattern that Jesus set for us. Quickly, notice the petition, P-E-T, not P-A-R, the question that was asked, the petition that was asked by the disciple in the last part of verse 1. I want you to look at it negatively and positively. All my life I heard preachers growing up as a little boy, and they preached this passage erroneously. I didn't know as a kid. I thought the man of God ought to know what he was talking about. And I heard preachers over and over again said, you remember that disciple said, Lord, teach us how to pray. That ain't what he said. He didn't say, Lord, teach us how to do it. Now listen, I'm not suggesting we can't improve how we pray. I've read books on prayer. I've got a large number in my library. I've gone to prayer seminars, to prayer conferences, to prayer workshops. I've had them in my church. I believe that we can always improve our prayer life, but I want to tell you, dear friend, most of us at First Baptist Church, Pelham, Alabama, don't need another degree in prayerology. We need to pray. And the Lord didn't, the disciple didn't say, Lord, teach us how to do it. What did he say? Lord, teach us to do it. We already know what it's all about. We know that prayer is talking with God, communicating with God, communing with God. We'll talk about this later. It's not that we don't know how to do it. You don't have to have a PhD in prayer to be able to pray. I believe God hears the prayer of a little three-year-old boy, girl, as much as he does a person who's wrote a book on prayer, and you do too. So it's not a matter of being highly educated, using fancy words. It's just getting around to doing it, but doing it every single day, persistently doing it. So the petition is not, Lord, teach us how to do it. The petition is, Lord, teach us to do it. And most of us need to pray that kind of prayer. Lord, teach me to do it. I know what I ought to do. Teach me 
to do it quickly. The third thing in this passage you see here is the prayer itself in verses 2, 3, and 4. Now, we're not here primarily to look at the model prayer. <clears throat> Some people call this the Lord's Prayer. That's in John 17. This is the model prayer. It's a pattern that Jesus gave us. Uh, it was on your screen earlier when we had our prayer time. It's not something you have to repeat every time you want to pray. And boys and girls, hear me. Memorizing this prayer, repeating it periodically is wonderful. I do it. But it's not that Jesus is saying that every time you pray, this is what you've got to say. It's a pattern. It's something Jesus gave us as a, something we can go by, a prayer. And basically, there are three things in it. Number one, it's based on relationships. Look at the first two words. Our Father. Our puts us in relationship to one another. Father puts us in relationship to God. And if those two relationships are not what they ought to be, you're not going to get very far in your praying. Our puts us in relationship to one another. Hear me carefully. It's very hard to be a person of prayer when you're mad at your wife, mad at your husband, had a spat coming to church. Come on! I'm going to get a close-in parking place. And here you are at church. Oh, how I love Jesus. And I'm, I'm joking a little bit. You know what I'm talking about. It's hard to pray when I'm not right related to you. When I was just a young preacher boy growing up right here in Birmingham, my home church, a wise old pastor said to us preacher boys one day, he said, now sons, one day you're going to get married. And they said, my wife and I had an agreement. Before we got married, we agreed we would never go to bed mad at each other. Well, little boy, I thought, man, that's great. And then he said, we stayed up mighty late some nights. <laughs> I want to say he was very wise. If you never go to bed mad at each other, chances are you're not going to end up in divorce court. Why? Relationship with each other. But then relationship with God. The Christian, you, me, as, you and I as Christians, we're the only ones who can call God, F-A-T-H-E-R. Say it, Father. God wants to relate to you and to me as an ideal father. Now, some of you had ideal fathers. You had men who were godly men, who were Christians, who read the Bible, who prayed with you, who said the blessing at the table, who gave a tithe to the church. Some of you didn't have that kind of father. I know I've been, had dear friends. Fathers abandoned them when they were little. Don't turn against God. God is not like your daddy. He's like your daddy ought to be. God relates to us as an ideal father. That doesn't mean he gives us everything we ask for. He doesn't. But God relates to us as an ideal father. And so when Jesus taught us to pray, to call God Father, God is not just somebody who's way off up there somewhere with a long beard and rocking in a rocking chair and waiting to see who he can punish. No, he is our heavenly father. Say the word with me. Father, a little louder. Father, now keep in mind when you pray, that's, that's who we're talking to. We're talking to God as our heavenly father. Now beyond that, it's not only based on relationships, it also, beyond that, it has certain 
kind of responsibilities. It says, thy name, thy kingdom, thy will be done. All of these things are part of the prayer. Hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We have a responsibility to those things. But then it also includes requests. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Lead us not into temptation. But notice about the requests in this prayer. There is not one single selfish request anywhere in this prayer. Not one. Many of our praying is, give me, 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 give me. Lord, do this. Lord, do that. Give me. Nothing like that here. When we're praying, we don't need to be selfish. We don't want to be selfish. We want to be submissive to God. Lord, your will be done. Now, primarily here in closing, I want you to look at the parables. Two of them here in this passage. One is about a friend. The second is about fathers. But look at the one about the friend. The parable is actually told in verses uh, 5 through 8. <coughs> and then Jesus makes the point in verses 9 through 10. But he said, if I can recreate what happened here, you have to understand, some of you probably have been to the Middle East, and particularly if you've made trips to the Holy Land. The people in the Middle East are some of the most hospitable people you will ever meet anywhere. They want to entertain you. They will invite you into their home. And that day and time, if they had no motels or things, and, and people would travel, it was just understood that wherever they came to at sundown, they'd knock on the door and the host was obligated to give them something to eat and a place to sleep. And the next day, they'd be on their way. This man, living in that kind of culture, has someone unexpectedly come by at midnight. He's in an embarrassing situation. He doesn't have anything to feed him. He's out of bread, the most staple food. So he does what any good, dedicated, saved, sealed, sanctified Southern Baptist would do. He goes next door and knocks on the door. That's midnight, but this is my friend. He knocks on the door, midnight. And finally, you can almost hear the man inside because they were usually just one room houses. Might on one the back end, they had a little elevated area, archeologists tell us, but one room, they had the wife, the husband, the children, they're all in bed. And he said, shh, he'll go away. Shh, don't anybody say anything. He gets up angrily and goes to the door. If I could paraphrase, what in the Sam Hill are you doing here at midnight? He didn't say that, but he said, he goes to the door. And his friend simply says, I have had an embarrassing situation. Somebody's come by unexpectedly. I don't have anything to feed them. Can you lend me some bread? <coughs> and Jesus said, listen to it. Why did he tell this little unusual story? He said, though he would not get up because he was his friend, yet because of his, here's the key word, importunity, if you have the King James. It's the best translation here. Because of his 
bold persistence. He kept on keeping on knocking, and it sounded as if he was going to knock all night if the man didn't finally come to the door. Now remember this. All parables of Jesus, a rule for interpreting the parables, all parables always have one main point. Not ten, one. Now, there may be some subpoints, but the main point of this parable is not on the man in bed. If you make that the main point of the parable, you've got a real problem. You've got God going to sleep and he never does, and God finally giving in and we just keep on begging and he never does that. No, the main point of the parable is not the man in the bed. The main point of the parable is the man at the door. And Jesus is saying, because that man was persistent in his request, the man on the inside got up and gave it. And he says, so likewise, our Father. That does not mean if you'll bombard God and filibuster God and play and beg with God that God will finally give it. No, 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 no. It just means sometimes persistent prayer is necessary. Our own human nature resists. Sometimes external conditions resist. Sometimes God's ready to give the answer. We're not ready to receive the answer. Persistent praying brings us in line with God. Jesus knew this, and he says to his disciples, persistence, keeping on, keeping on. Can I make it practical, personal? I don't know why when Brother Mike announced here a few months ago that of all things, as a young man like him, that he was going to retire. He'd only been here 35 years. I can't imagine I'm joking a little bit. That didn't catch God off guard. Many of you started praying. Oh, God, we're in a mess. 35 years. <coughs> Brother Mike's been our pastor. What are we going to do? And here it is, the middle of July, and you're having to put up with Carter. I'm sorry. You've been praying. Don't give up. Keep on believing God will answer prayer. We're going to hold on to that until God does give us the answer. Give you a little bit of encouragement. Right now, while we're sitting here in this worship hour, a prospective pastor is preaching at First Baptist Church, Birmingham. Listen, they've been looking for a pastor over two years. You better be careful. You're going to have to put up with me a long time. I don't know how long. The timing is up to God. But the fact is, we want to pray and keep on praying, persistently praying, just like the man at the door. He needed something essential, like you need a pastor. It was bread, and he kept on keeping on, keeping on, keeping on. Finally, the answer came quickly. The other part of this parable was about a father. Jesus said, if a child asks a father for a fish, he's not going to give him a snake. If he asks something good for him, he's not going to get something bad for him. So therefore, our Heavenly Father, who already knows what we need, he knows you need a pastor, he knows you want a pastor, he's going to give it to you in his own good time. We have the assurance that just like a good earthly father will give good things to his children, our perfect Heavenly Father will give answers to us. Maybe you can remember it this way. God, our Heavenly Father, will always answer our prayers in one of four ways. Mark it down. 
God will always answer our prayer. I hear people say, so, well, I prayed and prayed and prayed, and God just didn't answer my prayer. What they mean is they didn't get their way. God always answers our prayer. Here they are. Sometimes God gives us a desired answer. He says, yes. He gives us what we ask for. Sometimes, listen, God gives a declined answer. If you miss everything here, remember, God in heaven, a heavenly father, knows how to say no. And that settles it. That doesn't mean he doesn't love you. It means he does love you. After church here in a minute, got out of the parking lot, 13-year-old kid asked dad for the keys to the automobile. A good father is going to say, no, not today, not tomorrow. When you get to be 21, you might. No, no. We, he's going to say no. Not because he doesn't love him, because he does love him. He knows what the law is. He knows what responsibility is. So sometimes God says yes. Sometimes God says no. Sometimes, thirdly, God gives a different answer. Maybe you've already got it in your mind who the next pastor of First Baptist ought to be. And you just know that he ought to be the next pastor. You may be right, but you also may be wrong. And God may give you a different answer to your preconceived idea about what it ought to be. That's why we've got a wonderful search committee. God sometimes gives us something different, but when he does, it's always better. And that's the way God is. God gives a different answer. It's a better answer than what I asked for. And finally, sometimes, and this is the hardest answer for me, God gives a delayed answer. Sometimes God looks down from heaven and he says, son, W-A-I-T. Say it out loud. Louder. Louder. I heard you now. Seriously. Sometimes God says, wait. And in his own time, God gives the answer. And God's timing is always best. God always answers in accord with who he is. Perfect God. Now one more time. If you could ask God for anything this morning, what would you ask him for? I doubt we could ask him for anything more significant than to say, Lord, teach us to pray. Let's do that right now. Would you bow together with me? With our heads bowed and eyes closed. In just a moment, we're going to sing our invitation hymn. I want you to hear me. If you're not absolutely certain that you're a Christian, I want you to listen. The one prayer God will hear you pray as an unsaved person is, Lord, I, can, I know I've sinned and right now I repent of my sins and I ask you to come into my heart. If you've never prayed that prayer, you're not sure you prayed that prayer. Don and I will be here at the front and we ask you to just come. We'll take you by the hand and say words of encouragement and help to you. That's the way you become a Christian. The first step is acknowledging you're not what you ought to be and asking God to save you. We're grateful that God will always do that.
but it may be some of us just need to say this morning, Charles, I hear what you're saying, and I've not been the kind of person, I love God, love the Bible, go to church all the time, but I don't have a definite time and place every day in my life to pray. I want to start it. I'm not going to ask you to sign a card. I'm not going to ask you to tell me. You may just want to come and kneel at the altar and say, Dear Lord, today, I want to mail Dallas stake and say, beginning July the 13th, 2014, I'm going to have a definite time and a definite place every day to pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for who you are. We thank you for being the Lord God omnipotent. We thank you for being a God who hears and answers prayer. And now I pray you'll have those who may not know you to come to know you this morning. And for those of us who are already Christians, help us to find a time and a place to pray. In your name we ask it. Amen. Would you stand together with us? And as we stand, we sing our invitation hymn, Come Just As You Are. Right now, we'll meet you right here. Thanks for listening to this podcast. For more information about First Baptist Pelham and other free resources like this one, log on to fbcpelham.org.